All right, let's get into God's Word together. I encourage you to grab a Bible or to open a Bible on your device, and let's get into the book of Hebrews together. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today, and we're going to focus um, our attention on verses 19 through 25. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the surrounding passages. This is kind of the, the heart of chapter 10, and so we're going to talk about living our life in light of Christ, life in light of Christ and who He is and what He has done. Uh, the last several chapters of Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews has been laying out for us uh, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, particularly him as our great high priest starting back uh, in chapter 4 all the way up through this point. And he's made the case that Jesus is our great high priest that, and that he has offered a better sacrifice, uh, that he has enacted a new and better covenant. And so that's the case he's been making. And when you get to chapter 10, he continues to make the case about Jesus's sacrifice being better. And he wants to drive home for this people the truth that what Christ has done on the cross has changed everything forever. There's no way anyone should look back at the old way in the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were being made by the priests and things of that nature, and, and long to go back to that. And for that matter, none of us should look back at the world or our life before Christ and long to go back to that. In light of who Christ is and what Christ has done, everything has changed, and we should change, and we should live different in light of that. And the very heart of this passage, as I said, is verses 19 through 25. You know, for a moment this week, I, I, I wondered if I should skip this passage since I taught a good portion of it a couple of years ago at North Park, but you know, it's just too timely. It's just too timely, it's too important because it's like the hinge on which uh, the rest of the book swings. Um, there's all through the book, we, he'll give a lot of doctrine and then there's some application, right? But the, the hinge really swings heavy towards application starting right here in verse 19. Um, he is making the case uh, even more so to how to live our life. Now, in light of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Now, keep in mind, Every book of the New Testament tends to do this. Every epistle in particular tends to do this. Uh, there tends to be a, a, an emphasis on what uh, is being taught, like the doctrine, and then um, now how we put that into practice, how it affects our lives on a, on a daily basis. Hebrews kind of weaves it in, but it really makes the turn here um, in chapter 10 as you get into chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. Um, and so we, we need both truth and we need application of that truth, right? And so, then, so that's kind of the, the emphasis here. We need to, to, to put feet uh, to what we know. We need to live in light of the truth, and he's going to encourage us to do that. And you'll remember the key theme in terms of application for the book of Hebrews is persevere, endure, stay with Christ, continue in your faith, grow and mature and pursue Christ, and don't fall away, don't walk away, don't run away, continue on pursuing God, pursuing Christ and holding to him. That's kind of the, the big thing. And so when we get here in this passage, keep that, keep that in mind because some of the things we're going to talk about are helpful in our perseverance. But he's going to talk to us about how we to live our lives in light of Christ and who Christ is. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
So, life in light of Christ. You see this, since we have this, since we have this, let us live this way. And he's focusing on the person and work of Christ here. So, uh, in light of Christ, what do we have? Well, he talks about a couple of things in particular here in, in verses 19, 20, uh, and 21. We, we, first of all, we have our confidence. He says, uh, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So, believers in Christ have confidence to enter the holy places. Now, remember, chapter 9, he talked about the holy place and the most holy place, right? And in times past, only the priest entered the holy places. And only the high priest entered the most holy place. And then only one day a year under really strict rules. We talked about that last week. Now Christ has come and he's made a way, he says, for you and I, for for believers to enter the holy places. And in other words, Christ has made the way for us to enter into God's presence with confidence, in confidence. In the Old Testament, if the wrong person entered the holy places or the right person entered the wrong way, they died. <laughs> That's what happened. But Christ has made it so that you and I can enter through him without fear of judgment, without fear of condemnation. We go into the presence of God based off who Christ is and what Christ has done for us as our sacrifice and as our high priest. Now, back in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, he explains how the law... And the things in the law were a shadow, right? All the sacrifices, for instance, being offered were like shadows pointing to the substance. And the substance they were pointing to was our need for Christ to come and die for us, the, the ultimate sacrifice. Then, uh, down in chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, he shows more about this sacrifice of Christ and its superiority. He says this, Hebrews 10, 11 through 15, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Jesus, in other words, Jesus by his death has made it possible for you and I to enter God's presence. And remember, there was that curtain that separated the holy places. It was a clear separation, a wall between man and God's presence. And the Son of God changed all that by taking on human flesh, living a sinless life, and dying for sinners on the cross. And then he sat down, right? in completion of that, uh, where the other priests had to stand daily, ready to make more and more sacrifices. Jesus did it once and for all, and then he sat down because he's finished. He sat down in the position of authority. And he has, he's, he's torn uh, that wall that separated God and man, that, that veil. It says in, uh, in, when Jesus died on the cross in, in Matthew 27, uh, Matthew records, Matthew 27, 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. How was it torn? From top to bottom. This is something God did. This is the new and living way as the writer in Hebrews says, that we enter God's presence with confidence. We don't need to kill animals. We have a living high priest who died for us and rose again, and the wall of separation has been torn in two. And we can enter with confidence. And the second thing we have, as he says, is we have our priest. He says in verse 21, and since we have a priest over the house of God. So ever since the end of chapter 4, as I mentioned, the writer of Hebrews has been showing us how in Jesus we have this great high priest, the house of God, um, is spoken of back in chapter 3 as well. That refers to the people of God. Anybody who has faith in Jesus, we are the house of God. The church is the house of God. And so the house of God is all those who have placed their faith in Christ. And as God's house, we have a great high priest who is over us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, today, he is over us, and he is providing access for us into God's presence. And he is even, as he's already told us, interceding for us in God's presence. 
So in light of all this, in light of our confidence to enter God's presence, in light of our high priest, how are we to live? That's the question. And he lays that out for us. You'll see in verses 22 through 25, let us, let us, let us. He is encouraging us to live these ways. He's saying in light of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, in light of what we have in Jesus as our high priest, uh, in light of our confidence to enter the holy places, here is how we are to live. This is what we're to do. What we're presented here are three things that should mark every single Christian life who has grasped the gospel and who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. We should, we should live this way. And, and these things are help. Remember, the big application of Hebrews is persevere, persevere, persevere. And so these things help us in that. It helped because the big takeaway from Hebrews is in light of who Jesus is and how much better he is and how much better what he brings is Man, endure, continue, put your faith in Jesus and follow him to the end of your days. And so these things help us to do that. They're ingredients uh, for our perseverance. And so what is he, how are we to live? Number one, we need to draw close to God. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As those who have confidence to enter, we should draw near to God. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were offered didn't have the uh, impact, the same impact that the sacrifice of Christ has to offer. If you go back and read chapter 10, verse 1, I'll put it up for you. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So those who were drawing near to God in worship, they weren't perfected. They didn't, we talked about their, their, their clean, they didn't have that clean conscience. Uh, the, the, the stain of sin remained. But now we can draw near, he says, with true hearts and with full assurance. So we can do this because our hearts are sprinkled clean, he says, from an evil conscience. Remember, we talked about how through faith in Jesus last week, our conscience gets cleansed. We know our sins are paid for and forgiven and we're set free to worship God. Our bodies being washed with pure water recalls most likely those Old Testament washings. And some say it may even be pointing to uh, uh, the visualization, the symbolism of what, bapti- of baptism, of, of what, um, what baptism ultimately points to is that in Christ, um, our sins get washed away. And in Christ, uh, we're immersed in Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. We're identified with him. Uh, and the point is we have been made clean by Jesus so we draw near to God with this true heart and this full assurance. And that idea of the true heart is a genuine heart. It's a sincere heart. He's saying we don't come with hypocrisy. Uh, we don't come manipulating. Uh, we don't come simply seeking the gift. We come for the giver. We come with a sincere heart that wants to know and love God. Anyone who's going to draw near to God, it must be genuine and sincere and from the heart. And only Jesus can transform our hearts so that we come to God, not trying to manipulate and see what we can get out of God, but because we love God and we want to be near God. And only Jesus can remove our sin and our guilt so that we long to be near God and draw close to him in that way. So we come with a true heart and we come with a heart of full, full assurance of faith. He wants us to come fully assured that Christ's work is sufficient and so therefore we can come into God's presence. We can have assurance of salvation here rooted in what Christ has done. God doesn't want us wandering through life doubting our salvation. He doesn't want that for believers. When we've been made clean by Christ, we can come before God with assurance instead of doubt and worry and constant fear of judgment and condemnation. Listen, nothing will hardly paralyze you spiritually like doubting your salvation. You shouldn't live like that. You need to know the gospel. You need to believe the gospel. And if you doubt your salvation, if you're concerned that you're not a genuine follower of Christ, you need to take care of that by 
if you need to repent of your sin and believe the gospel, then do so. Uh, don't go through life wandering. He, God wants you to have confidence. Don't live in doubt. We stake our confidence, though, not on ourselves, but on Christ and what he's done. It's not about what I've done or what I do. It's about what Christ has done that we look to. But if you're constantly worried that you're not God's child or may not be God's child, you will likely, embrace, you likely won't embrace the closeness to him that is yours through having him as your father, through having Christ as your savior. So if you're in Christ, you have direct access to God and you are near him through Christ, but you need to live in light of that by drawing near. We should be seeking God. We should be pursuing God. We should be spending time with God in his word and praying and seeking to do his will. We should be drawing near to him in genuine relationship on a daily basis. Are we doing that? Are we drawing near to God? And then we need to stay committed. So there's a closeness. We need to draw close. And then number two, we need, there's a commitment. We need to stay committed. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What are we to hold fast to? A confession of hope, our confession in Jesus, right, as Lord and Savior, our belief that he and he alone can forgive sins, that he and he alone uh, can, can, can save, can rescue from sin, death, and hell. That's our hope. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is in him. So he says you need to hold fast to that. You need to stick to it. You need to continue to believe it. You need to continue to follow after this confession. Hold to, stick to this. And he says you're to do this without wavering. In other words, it literally means without bending. It means to be firm. He's saying he's calling us to stay committed to what we have confessed, to what we believe, to be firm, to be unshakable in this. Listen, there are plenty of opportunities for us to be shaken, for us to waver in the world today. The pain of suffering, the difficulty of persecution in some parts of the world, the, the allure of sin, but he is calling us to stay the course. Why? Because he says God is faithful. So he says stay the course. You know, I think back, you think back over church history at what people have done, how committed followers of Christ have been over the course of the centuries. There's incredible examples of people, man, who have endured so much. Um, I thought about Polycarp. Maybe you've heard the story of Polycarp, maybe you haven't, but uh, he was an early church leader. He was martyred, all right? He was martyred, put to death for his faith in Christ around 155 A.D. So he was an early, early church leader. Um, yeah, it says after Polycarp was arrested, he was given the chance to recant his faith in Christ. Now, you can read all, all about Polycarp's story um, in the encyclical epistle of the church at Smyrna concerning martyrdom of the holy Polycarp. That's a long title, right? So it's out there. It's recorded for us in, in church history. But after he was arrested, he was given the chance to recant his faith in Christ, to say no, you know, basically to let go of his confession, to not hold it fast. And, and he, 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 he wouldn't do this. He would not do this, and he was given a chance before the proconsul to recant his faith. And upon this urging, this is what Polycarp said. I love this quote. He says, in 86 years, 80 and 6 years, have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Being pressed more, Polycarp said, since thou art vainly urgent that as thou sayest I should swear by the fortune of Caesar." And if you wish to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn what the doctrines of Christianity are, appoint me a day and thou shalt hear them. Being threatened then with fire, Polycarp responded, Thou threatenest me with fire which burneth for an hour and after a little is extinguished, but art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But what? But why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. And ultimately, Polycarp was burned 
alive for his faith in Christ. And this account is recorded in that uh, book that I, I told you about. And you can read about it in the Fox's Book of Martyrs and other uh, places. And it depicts an incredible picture of someone holding fast, of someone unwavering in their confession. And listen, we may never know that kind of test. Most of us likely will never know that kind of test. But how many falter under much less the allure of the world and sin and difficulties and stress? And, but we need to be, by God's grace, holding to our confession, not wavering, day by day, staying committed, staying the course. The key to our commitment is God's commitment. The key to our faithfulness is God's faithfulness. He says, he calls, he's, he tells us to hold our confession. He says, because he who promised is faithful, right? It's rooted in God's faithfulness. You know, the Bible is a record of the faithfulness of God, whether it's God promising to make Abraham a nation, a great nation. What did he do? He made Abraham a great nation. Uh, God delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, um, providing for them in the wilderness, uh, seeing uh, throughout the Old Testament, you can see God's faithfulness uh, to his people. Then you get, get to the New Testament, you get the greatest picture of all. He sends his son into the world to die for our sins. Listen, our God is faithful, and that is the God who has promised us. That is the God of the gospel. That is the God of our confession. And so we need to keep the course and God listen God's faithfulness is the only way we can stay faithful and it, and it also stirs our desires to pursue more faithfulness see God keeps us he secures us I heard someone a pastor say once if I could lose my salvation I would <laughs> and it's true well we can't because he keeps us he holds us God keeps us our faithfulness only exists because God is faithful and seeing and experiencing and tasting and remembering the faithfulness of God encourages us to continue to be faithful so recall the faithfulness of God. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the times in your life where he's been faithful to you when you go through difficult times and stay the course. He warns in the next half of chapter 10 about the danger of, of walking away, of not holding fast, if you will, of going back out into the world, going away from Christ and pursuing the things. Lord, he says in verse 26 and 27, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, there's nowhere else to go for forgiveness. Jesus is it, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. He's saying, man, don't, don't walk away and go pursue a life of sin. Don't reject Christ and go back out uh, into the world. Don't, don't, don't do this. You need Christ. He's the only one who can forgive your sin. The only way is Christ. He encourages them. He, he encourages their faithfulness by encouraging them to remember, to remember their past faithfulness. He says in verses 32 through 36 of chapter 10, but recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done, all, done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." See, we need to hold to our confession of hope in such an unwavering way that we are willing to endure hard struggles with suffering. We are willing to bear reproach and affliction for what we believe as they had done before. We, we should have joy even if they plunder our property uh, for our faith. We should still have joy because our joy is not in our property. Our joy is not what, in, in what we own or what we have. Our joy is rooted in Christ. Why? We have a better possession, a better possession than anything we possess on earth God has secured our eternal home and our great reward. And that's where our eyes and our hearts should be. 
So in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, we need to hold fast our confession and not waver. God is faithful. We need to stay the course. The third thing we need to do is we need to engage in community. We need to engage in community. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, there, there's that commitment, right, that we need to have. Um, there's, there's this uh, picture of um, drawing close to God. And then here we have this picture of community, engaging in community. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Listen, in light of who Christ is and what he's done for us, he's calling us to engage in biblical Christian community. We need to engage in the local church. Participation in the life of the local church is a key ingredient to our endurance in the faith. It's, it's, it's part of the recipe. First notice, all three of the instructions that we've been going through, all the let us instructions, they're all lived in community. That's why he says let us, not just let you. Listen, we hold fast our confession in community. We are the community that has and will draw near to God. Our faith is a communal faith. Listen, our world craves community. It does. Believers have been placed in a community. We need to practice good, healthy, life-giving community. Now listen, we do everything better in community pretty much, right? I mean, think about it, like exercise. You'll do better when you join the gym class than if you just go to the gym by yourself. Or uh, think about CrossFit. Remember when CrossFit kind of took all over the, all, all over the country? Um, and, and it's like, man, these, if you've never met someone doing CrossFit, You'll know it when you meet them doing CrossFit because they'll be talking about CrossFit probably. Uh, It's like this contagious little community and and people do better with their health and exercise. Nobody wants to diet alone, right? You'll do much better most likely in your diet if you diet with other people. Um, Learning. How do we tend to learn? We tend to do so in groups and in classes with others and sometimes we, we need help or we need a tutor or whatever it may be. But it's this idea of community. Why do we think living the Christian life is different? That we don't need one another. That we don't need a group. And God has designed it that way, and it's called the local church. So let me give you four key keys to effectively engaging in community right here in this passage. The first one is strategy. All right, they all start, they all, uh, excuse me, three keys. They all start with S. Isn't that great? Uh, strategy. He says, consider how to stir, one another, stir, to stir one another up. Consider how. It means to contemplate, to think. He's encouraging us to be thinking through, how can I better benefit others in the community of faith? How might I be better at using my gifts? How might I better invest my time? How could I, uh, how could I make sure I give someone encouragement? See, the gathering of the church shouldn't just be something we go through the motions with week after week. We must mentally and emotionally and spiritually engage, not just physically be around. This is why we typically have small groups. It's one way that gives us the opportunity to um, consider how, right? It gives us another opportunity to consider how I can impact this group of people. Let me ask you, how much thought do you give, how much thought are we giving to how we invest in one another as a church family? Do we gather just for what we can get, not what we can give when we gather? I'm supposed to be thinking not simply what I can get, but what I can give, how I can serve. I should be seeking that out. Even in the, even in the church service when I, that I go to gather, I should be thinking, man, who can I encourage today? Who, who, do, who needs to see me today? Not just who do I need to see today to feel better. Who, who needs to see me today? Who, who could use a, a word of affirmation and encouragement, a, a little love today? What is your plan when you go to church? Let's pray and ask God, help me to be a blessing, right? Help me to be an encouragement day. We need a strategy. We need a strategy. We need to be considering how we do this in our lives and through the local church. And then we need to strengthen. There's a strengthening. There's, a st- there's strategizing that needs to take place. There's strengthening that needs to take place. He says, we need to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The, the, 
that, that's what we're strategizing about, this stirring, right? This word stir up, it's a strong word that it's neutral. In other words, you can stir up negatively or you can stir up positively. And so when you read it in the Bible, you have to look at the context to figure out what it means. And so here, obviously, he said, that's why he, said, he doesn't just say stir up one another. Well, what does that mean? You know, I'm good at stirring up, but I don't know if I'm, the, what, what, you know, he says, to love and good works right? So we're always stirring, right? We, anytime you get a group of people together, there's going to be some stirring. We can stir up trouble, right? We can stir up some gossip. We can stir up fights, negativity, or we can stir up love. We can stir up good works, not simply, um, not simply just going through the motions, but actively trying to stir people towards love, good works, unity. What are we stirring up? No, don't miss this. What he is saying is this, you and I have a responsibility to others, not simply to make sure we are loving and doing good works, but to help them produce love and good works. Do you get that? Do you see that? Stirring up one another to love and good works. There are things that I'm supposed to do that help stir that up in you. There are things you're supposed to do that help stir that up in me. We're stirring one another up to love and good works. He goes on to say we should be encouraging one another. It, that can mean to urge or exhort. And a key part of our stirring is to encourage. This should be a fellowship of encouragement, the local church. Strengthening. We're strengthening one another. There's the picture here. By our stirring and by our encouragement, we're making one another better. We're making one another's faith stronger. People shouldn't dread coming to church because of an awkward relationship. No way. Because someone may give them the cold shoulder. They shouldn't be, people shouldn't come to church and be able to just hide. Not that we need to be awkward about it. I'm just saying we should be on a mission to encourage one another, to help one another, to bless one another, to stir one another to love and good works. So we have this, we need to be strategizing, we need to be strengthening, and we need to be showing up. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. See, we can't stir and we can't encourage and we can't use our gifts and we can't invest in others and we can't receive these things from others if we don't show up, if we're not invested in the gathering. See, it seems that some had begun to pull away from the church's gathering in this time. And this was to their own detriment. It was to their own detriment. And see, because we can't give or receive encouragement if we're not there to give it and we're not there to receive it. Now, it's kind of weird reading this verse in 2020, right? Because we've had a real wrench thrown in our plans. We've had to find new ways to engage with one another. The pandemic has impacted our gathering. For two to three months, we didn't have an in-person gathering at all. Just have the online gathering. And right now, if you're watching this, you likely still aren't back for in-person gatherings. And we're trying to navigate this public health issue we're in. It's a, it's a wild time. And I'm grateful that we have technology like this. I say it almost every week. Grateful for the technology that we have that enables us to still get the word out there. And to find a way to connect with those that aren't back yet. However, we've got to understand something. This, what we're doing right now, what you're watching right now, is not a replacement. This is not the same thing as the gathering for worship. It can't be. This is not a permanent solution, in other words. This is not normal, and it's not healthy long-term. It's just not. Some may think online church is the new thing, right? Shopping went online. People cut the cord for cable. Um, this is just part of the process of technology. Maybe church will become a YouTube event. No, it can't. It can't. It's an, it, God's people have to get together. We have to get together. Let's be clear. There are things that you cannot get online but can only get to the full extent in person. Let me give you some of those. Relationships and fellowship, right? Direct encouragement. Direct encouragement from another person. Benefiting from more than one person's spiritual gifts. So if I got a gift of teaching, and I'm using it today to encourage you, to help you, to, to teach you the word of God, but we've got a church full of people with spiritual gifts. 
we can't benefit from their gifts if we're not ever around them, right? We can't, we can't use our gifts to serve them. Accountability, right? There's a lot less accountability here when if, if I can just, if, 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 if church is just something I watch and not something that I'm, I'm participating in to the same degree. Modeling Christ's likeness and seeing it modeled. We need that, right? We need, we need to see that person who's walking through that difficulty. And we see them and we talk to them as they're walking through that. We see them in worship. We see them lift their hands. We see them singing and go, and go man, how Christ is working in their life. We need that. And people need that from each other. And you don't have those, you have less of those spur of the moment. You might say like Holy Spirit prompted engagement in the life of others where, man, God just kind of nudges your heart that, hey, you should, you should encourage them right now. Right? This is where you're just kind of being led by the Spirit and you're just kind of like, you know, um, I haven't, I haven't seen them in a while. I need to call them, whatever it may be, right? The more separated we get, the less little urgings and promptings like that we, we may sense. We should always just be doing it out of obedience, but you understand what I'm saying. It, uh, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. These things are important. And here's my point. The church gathering is about more than giving out content, right? It's about more than teaching. It's about sharing life together. It's about the teaching. It's about the content. It's about all that, but it's also about teaching one another, not just the pastor teaching the congregation. Teaching one another as we sing together. It's about relationship building. It's about encouraging one another, seeing one another, holding each other. visibly being a part of the body of Christ. It's about community. It's about community. It's about life together. What am I saying? I'm saying we all need to have a plan about when, not if, we're coming back to church gathering in person again. What are the risks to you and your family? You need to be talking, talking and thinking about that. Not just you know, waiting on the government or the news to tell you that. You, you need to be praying and thinking about when is it right for me and my family to come back to church. Not if, right? Online forever, that's not a real option. So when, not, when, when is that going to be? If you're healthy and you're under the age of 60, for instance, your risk is much, much different than someone with certain health issues that makes them high risk or someone, let's say, that's over 80 years old. That's two totally different worlds uh, being lived in there. And we need to understand that. We need to treat it as such. At some point, spiritual health has to become a factor we think about, not just our physical health. We have to think about both. If we're engaging lots of other activities, school, going to restaurants and eating out, and other small crowds of various activities, we're taking risk, right, with this pandemic as we do those things. But if we're taking risk everywhere but going to church, that that would concern me. That's not consistent. So what I'm saying is this, consider your spiritual health. Weigh your personal risk and have a plan for coming back, a very clear plan for coming back. We should be leaning that way, right? If we're sitting back going, man, this has been so great. (laughs) This has been so great to just kind of do church whenever I want to, right? I can just kind of push play whenever I want to. If I'm not into it that day, I can just kind of cut it off. Uh, or I, if I, you know, if I do it after the, after the, uh, the premiere, I can kind of fast forward. You know, if, if that's kind of our attitude, something's off, right? That shouldn't be our attitude. Our attitude should be, I'm ready to get back. When's wise, when is it wise for me and my family to get back? Not if, when. And we're ready to receive you when you're ready to come back. And for those that cannot be here right now, listen, we need to, due to their risk factors with their age or with their health, we need to be sure that we help them stay connected. Call somebody. Maybe right now somebody pops into your mind and you need to call them, right? Call each other even. 
stay connected, find out if there's ways we can serve them. Listen, this, this pandemic has caused other issues, loneliness, depression. We're not created for isolation. We are created for community, especially the church. And the most important community out there is the local church. Anything robbing us of that is detrimental to our spiritual health. We need the gathering of the saints. We need it. We need the singing. We need the teaching. We need the we need it all. We need the seeing the faces. We need the encouragement. We need all. Now, we, meet safe. we need to meet safely, right? We need to be wise. We don't need to be foolish. We ask people to wear masks. We're spacing out. We're doing those things. We're being wise in how we meet. But, but we're gathering and we're encouraging people to come back when they're ready because we know how important this is. We know how important it is. So there's a, there's the, there's a showing up, but then there's a, there's the, there's a seriousness about this gathering. He says, and all the more, encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, it's to be increasing. There's an urgency. There's a seriousness about it. You need to do it more and more as you see, encourage one another more and more. Why? As you see the day drawing near. Christ is returning. The judge of the world is coming. Judgment day is coming. The return of Christ will happen. And this should lead us to encourage one another more and more and more and more. Listen, this was written 2,000 years ago. We're that much closer to the day. How much more serious and urgent should we be about encouraging each other? How much more committed to one another should we be if it's to be more and more and more and more? Listen, friends, we, we have a high priest over the house of God. And we're able to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And in light of all of that, we need to persevere. And we need to endure in our faith. So let's draw close to God. Let's stay committed to our confession. And let's engage in the community of faith. Let me ask you, as who Christ is and what Christ has done, has it transformed your life yet? See your high priest? Have you put your faith in the one who shed his blood for you and died in your place on the cross? That's the only way we can really draw near to God, the only way we can know God, the only way we can have that, that washing and that cleansing that he talks about here of our heart, the only way you can have that true heart and sincere heart, and the only way any of that can happen is if you come to God as a guilty sinner, confess your sin, and, and I, I deserve, I deserve to just be judged for my sin. I, I deserve to go to hell, but I believe Jesus was sent by you to love me, to save me, to rescue me, that he lived a sinless life, died in my place on the cross, and rose again, and turn away from your sin and put your faith in Christ who died for you and rose again, who paid your sin debt. If you haven't done that, we always encourage you. That's step one. Become a part of the community of faith by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, we encourage you to do that. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on him today. Look to him in repentance and faith. And if you've got questions about that, we'd love to answer them. Talk with you. Pray with you. If you, if you make a decision today, we would love to celebrate with you. Reach out to us at info at gonorthpark.com. Now, believers in Christ, let's live in light of Christ. Let's live in light of who he is and what he's done. Let's persevere. Let's do it. Let's, let's, draw, let's draw close to God. Let's stay committed to our confession. And, and let's engage in the community. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today for the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. Help us to live in light of these truths today. I pray for anyone who's never trusted Christ that they would do so. I pray for every believer in Christ to live more faithfully. Help us. God, give us all wisdom to know when it's time for us to, to come back and engage in the community of faith. Just let us have wisdom to do that. Lord, we, we miss each other. We miss folks. And we want to see each other again, but we want to be wise, but we don't want to be fearful. 
Lord, we want to, uh, we, we, we want, we want to, to know your will and to do your will, so help us to do that. Help us to be consistent in the decisions we make and let the decisions we make reflect the importance that we think um, of our spiritual lives and of honoring you and the, and the local church and all those things. And, but God, give us wisdom. Uh, to each make our individual decisions in a way that honors Christ. Uh, direct our steps and help us as a church to be faithful and, 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 to, and, to, and to find ways to connect with and serve one another during these times where some of us are still uh, scattered. And so, Lord, we pray in all these things that Christ would be magnified, that, that your wisdom would prevail, and, uh, and, and we look forward to continuing, pursuing, uh, and, and persevering in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.